Let us again seek the Lord in prayer before we come to the preaching of his word. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father in heaven, once more we bow before thee in our worthy Savior's name. We return thanks for thy presence with us. We give thee thanks for help even to sing thy praise to seek thee in prayer to read thy word. And, O God, as we come now to the preaching forth of thy truth, I cry to thee for help from the sanctuary. I seek afresh the infilling of the Spirit of God, so that this word will go forth in the very power of God. Enable me to preach Christ and him crucified, and grant that in it all, Thy name will be magnified and greatly glorified. We ask these things in our Saviour's name and for his sake. Amen. Over in the last book of Scripture, the book of the, the Revelation, we find that Jesus Christ is called the Word of God. So Christ is... God's Word. And being God's Word, he is, in a very real sense, the heart of God speaking unto us. We further read in the last book, the book of the Revelation concerning Jesus Christ, that he's the one who is called faithful and true. He is true because he is truth. He is truth personified. And he's also faithful, faithful to every word that he has spoken. He's faithful to every purpose of God in redemption. The great work that he undertook to do, he has finished. He has accomplished. He has fulfilled every covenant engagement with the Father because he's faithful. He's faithful to the promises of God, all of the exceeding great and precious promises that we have in the Word of God. Each one of those, you will know, each one is yea and amen in Christ Jesus. And then we realize also that he's, that he's faithful to the people of God, those who belong to him, those who are saved, those who are, who are in Christ. And when Paul was writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verse 13, he said, He abideth faithful. And the word translated abideth there can well be translated remaineth. So we can read it that way. He remaineth faithful. Yes, we can go on to say from that, he is eternally faithful. What an encouragement that has to be to any drooping heart, to any despondent spirit, to any one and they find that their faith is drooping. Just to get that fresh glimpse of our God, that he is the one who is faithful. Didn't the prophet Jeremiah, in the midst of his lamentations, 
get that view? And how did he express it? Great is thy faithfulness. Again, that word great means really abundant. Great, abundant is thy faithfulness. Or think of, think of the psalmist in one of, the, one of the psalms when he said, Thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. What did he mean by that? Simply, in, in the outworking of God's word, in the outworking of the promises of God in his word, there was so much more than what there seemed to be when the promise was just simply set forth in the word. Oh, you say, there's a promise. It's wonderful, and it is. But oh, when you see the fulfilling of the promise, the outworking of the promise, well, you can agree with the psalmist and say, of the Lord thou hast magnified thy word above thy name. So we have mentioned Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. We have mentioned the psalmist. And then what about the one man that we have been reading of in our scripture reading here in 1 Kings chapter 17, the prophet Elijah. We've been reading of this man of God coming, and he has a, a message from the Lord. And he's coming as the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message. And he's coming to an earthly king. He's coming from the king of kings. And he's coming with a message from the king of kings to be delivered to an earthly king, King Ahab. And he comes, no doubt, feeling deeply the, the burden of this upon his heart and, and upon his soul. He's coming with great courage. He has to be, considering the man here that he's coming to, Ahab, wicked Ahab. But nevertheless, he courageously comes because he feels such is the burden pressing upon his heart. The Lord has sent him, and he must, he must go, and he must unburden his heart to Ahab with the word of the Lord with the message that God has for this man Ahab. As he's coming, not only is he coming with great courage, but it has to be surely that he's coming with great confidence, not in himself, not in himself, but he's coming with tremendous confidence in the word that he's bringing. The word that he's bringing is the word of God. It's the living word of the living God, and Elijah comes before Ahab, and he's going to speak that word forth, hold nothing of it back. And he has every confidence, every confidence in the message, because it is the word of the Lord. And something more as he comes here, it's clear that he's coming not only with this courage and this confidence, but he's coming before Ahab with a deep consciousness of the Lord's presence with him. You'll notice how it's phrased here in 1 Kings 17 and verse 1. Let me read the verse to you. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. This was a message of judgment 
judgment upon the land, judgment upon the nation, judgment upon the people. It couldn't have been an easy message to deliver, but as he delivers it, he's conscious of the Lord's presence. As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand. He was more conscious of the Lord than he was of Ahab as, as he was coming to bring the message to Ahab. He had a deep, deep consciousness. I'm before the Lord, and I'm doing this as unto the Lord. He was deeply conscious of the Lord's presence with him. But he comes and he delivers a message. And what's he to do then? He might have felt, well, if I deliver this message, my, my life could well be in danger. He maybe thought that. I don't know. If you'd have had such a message as this to deliver to the wicked Ahab, you might have thought, well, if I'm going to be faithful to my God and deliver the message he has given me, my life is on the line, perhaps. So what's going to happen to Elijah when he has come and he has brought the message that God had him bring? Well, we can see that he's going to prove. What's he, Elijah going to prove? He's going to prove the Lord's faithfulness. He's going to prove the Lord's faithfulness. And that's the theme that I want to draw your attention to and leave with you just for a brief time. Proving the Lord's faithfulness. Because here in these verses that follow, there was a manifestation so clearly, so plainly, of God's faithfulness to his servant because he had sought to be faithful to God. He had sought to honor the Lord and the promise is that those that honor the Lord, he will honor. And he does honor Elijah here in a, in a most remarkable manner. Because there are some things that, that Elijah really does need. Many things I'm sure he needed, but two things in particular. He certainly needed guidance. What's he to do? He has come and stood before Ahab, and he has brought the Lord's message. He needs guidance as to what he's to do then after that. And also, considering what the message entailed, that there would be no dew nor rain, but according to the word of the Lord, he would need provision. He would need provision. So he would need those two things, most certainly. He would need to have guidance, and he would also need provision. And those are seen in, in several ways. Let me draw your attention to them. First of all, they're seen in God's, God's unsearchable ways. God's unsearchable ways. Remember the state of the land or the, the condition, if we might say, of religion in the land at this time, it was at a very, very low ebb. And here's the message that comes from God via his servant Elijah. There's to be no rain, there's to be no dew. And the guidance that the Lord gives to Elijah, well, it seems strange. Who would have thought of it? I don't think any human being would have thought of it. But it's from the Lord, so it's, it's, the right, it's the right guidance to be given. We read in verse 2, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, 
and hide thyself by the brook Curith that is before Jordan. Now that might seem a strange command. Maybe it seemed a strange command to Elijah. But then that's, that's being followed by something that I suppose we might say is even stranger. He's to go and turn eastward and hide himself by the brook Kerith that is before Jordan. He's to hide himself. Oh, there's a place that he's to go to, but then when he goes to that place, he's to get out of sight. He's not to be in view at all. In fact, he's being guided to a, to a lonely spot. A lonely spot where he'll, he'll not have anyone else's company. Any human company, that is. Because he's to go there and he's to hide himself from view. So it's clear then that there's going to be no one else who will see him. No one else that will be able to communicate with him. No one else that he'll be able to have a conversation with. He's going to be here in this place all by himself. Now that might seem strange, but it's going to be God's way. It was God's way. And we find that Elijah is in obedience. He has already obeyed the Lord by coming with the message. And now he's continuing to obey the Lord as he gets guidance from the Lord, the place where he's to go, and he's to put himself out of sight so that no one will see him. It's by the brook Kerith before Jordan. I wonder why it was the brook. Why was it not somewhere by the river Jordan? But this is the Lord's way. Unsearchable, but it's his way. Oh, how God's going to prove his faithfulness to Elijah, even in what might seem a strange way, an un an unsearchable way. But then so many of the Lord's ways are unsearchable as far as we are concerned. You remember what the psalmist, the psalmist said, how he expressed it there in Psalm 77, verse 19. He said, Thy way is in the sea, and thy path in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known but then the very next verse says this, verse 20, Thou ledest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. I wonder, was there a reference there to the, the crossing at the Red Sea? Perhaps there was. And didn't the Lord prove his faithfulness to his people even then? He always does. He always does. So therefore, we can surely have this this tremendous encouragement as God's people, that the God whom we serve is the one who remaineth faithful, who will always be faithful unto his people. Oh, I have got to say that we must keep this very much in mind, even in, in days such as we're in now. Our God is the God who reigns. He's the God who's in control. He's the one who's not bounded. He's not limited by any of his creatures, no matter how great they may think they are. He's not limited by any circumstances of time, 
by any situation that arises before us because the psalmist again tells us in Psalm 135, whatever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth, in the seas and all deep places. As the sovereign God he is, he is unfettered. Think of the words in Isaiah. Isaiah 46, I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. I have purposed it. I will do it. God is not only the creator, he's the governor. He's the governor of all of his creation. He controls everything. He controls the wind. He sends it forth out of his treasuries. He controls the waves of the sea. They will obey his voice. He, he controls the animal creation. He controls every part of his, of his creation. And he's, he's controlling every part of his creation here, <laughs> even the weather. It's going to be, there'll not be the dew nor the rain for a set period of time, according to the word of the Lord. We hear a lot of talk these days, don't we, about global warming and about climate change. And maybe I have missed some of the conversations. I'm sure I have missed an awful lot of them, but any that I have listened to, I have not heard any reference to the Lord, to God being in control of all things. It's, it's as if God isn't there, as if God doesn't exist. But here is, here is Elijah in the situation that he's in and he's facing, and God is going to manifest in his unsearchable ways, his great, great faithfulness to his servant, Elijah. And you'll notice, he not only told him to go there and hide himself, but he went on to say that you'll be able to drink of the brook, there'll be water there for you to drink, and in verse 4, I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Here he's showing Elijah, I'm, I'm in control of even the very birds of the air. I have commanded, I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Now, when we think of the raven, I suppose there are many things we could say about the raven. One of the things is this, it's a flesh-eating bird. In fact, we might be able to say it would eat almost anything even putrid flesh. But Elijah doesn't need putrid flesh. He needs good flesh, good meat. And where will the ravens get it? God has commanded them to bring it. And if they did get it, wherever they found it, why would they not just eat it themselves? Because God's in control. That's why. That's why. And though the ravens would bring what God has commanded them to bring, yes, but God is the one who sent them. 
with the provision for his servant. And all the while he's, he's showing his great faithfulness. God made the disposition of the raven. And if he chooses to change it for a given set of circumstances and in a given situation, he can do that. He can do that. He has all power so to do. Isn't he demonstrating to Elijah here that he, he is in, really in control of everything? In control of everything. Right, right, down, right down to the very drops of dew on the blades of the grass. This is our God, men and women. This is the God whom we serve. He is, he is the faithful God. His sovereignty extends to every part. And he causes all things to work together. Never forget it. He causes all things. He can do that because he's in control of everything. You and I are certainly not in control of everything, are we? We feel of times we're not in control of anything. But our God controls all, and he can bring all the things together for his glory and for our good. And here, he, here he's doing that for, for Elijah. He's, he's really promising something here as regards provision, isn't he? He's promising a daily supply. He's promising a daily supply. We read in verse 6, And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. So he was providing him breakfast and an evening meal. What faithfulness. And he was doing that every day. Day follows day follows day follows day. Without fail, the provision was there. How the heart of Elijah must have been encouraged and strengthened. This is the God he serves. And it's the same God, the God of Elijah, that you and I serve if we're saved. Oh, I tell you, this is a wonderful, a wonderful manifestation of God's faithfulness. He's just really saying, in effect, to Elijah, you, you go according to my way, and I will provide for you. Get my guidance, follow it, and I'll not fail you. I'll stand by you. I'll provide for all of your needs. And that's what he did. Oh, he was manifesting his faithfulness in his unsearchable way. But secondly, I want you to think about him manifesting his faithfulness with regard to his unfolding will. It wasn't going to be God's will for Elijah that he was going to stay forever at the Brook Kerith. Oh, he would be there for a time, yes, God's time. And then the Lord would give him guidance and the Lord would give him direction. But when he got to the brook, 
he didn't know he didn't know that he wasn't aware of that you see the discovery of God's will comes to us so often just gradually the word of the Lord came we read that in verse 2 the word of the Lord came on to him saying get thee hence turn thee eastward hide thyself by the brook but then there wasn't a, there wasn't another word that came for a, for a certain period of time and then we do read in verse 8 and the word of the Lord came on to him saying making clear his will you see God God is not obligated to let us know anything beyond the present time now he may do he may do but he's not obligated to do so and he wasn't obligated to do that for Elijah when Elijah first came to the brook he didn't say well I'll have you here Elijah for this amount of time and then you'll have to move to Zarephath he didn't tell him that then but step by step, he's going to unfold his will to Elijah when the word of the Lord comes. What does this really mean as far as Elijah is concerned? It means this, that he, has, he just has to place his life in God's hands. That's what he had to do when he went to the brook. He was, in effect, just placing his life in the hand of God and he had to leave it there and he did leave it there because he stayed by the brook as God had told him and he's there and he's accepting God's if you can call it maybe, maybe discipline because it, it was discipline wasn't it you, you try and put yourself in that position you're there in that lonely lonely place but it's God's will at that particular time for you. You're going to have to learn the discipline of the Lord. The Lord was placing a measure of discipline in that sense upon him. And Elijah accepts it. Go and hide yourself. Keep out of sight. Keep out of view. Don't be going about the land saying anything. Don't let anyone see you. It was discipline in that way, in that sense. And he was, he was learning submission, submission to the Lord. It may have been somewhat difficult for him, but nevertheless, he's going to stay, and especially difficult as he sees with his physical eye the water in the brook, the level getting lower and lower and lower and lower, but there's no word has come from the Lord to go anywhere else. You can see how that he's learning. He's learning submission. And when we're learning submission, we're learning to trust the Lord. Aren't we? Learning to trust him. And Elijah here was learning to trust the Lord. Oh, the Lord had some things for Elijah that as yet Elijah knew nothing about. But the Lord's preparing him in all of this. It's preparation. And he, he, must, he must just trust, trust the Lord. He learned to trust him. The ravens bring him his food. And think of it. There wasn't a precedent for this, was there? You know, it's always a wee bit easier sometimes. Well, you know, oh, I, I know of an occasion when that happened before. 
But there's no precedent for this, for the ravens to come and bring bread and flesh morning and evening. Well, if the Lord had said, well, I'll bring you manna, I'll, I'll send, ah, oh, there's been a precedent there. Oh, I'm sure the Lord will do that then. But can't you see? No precedent, but it's still God's word. You learn to trust him. His word is true. And here he is. And the Lord had told him, Elijah, you go by the brook there and you'll, you'll have to just drink the water of the brook. And he was doing that. But as time goes by, he's maybe beginning to wonder, what is going to happen when the water is no more in the brook? And still there's as yet no word from the Lord. God's testing his faith. God's testing his faith. Will, will he still be obedient? What will he do? You remember those words that we find over in Isaiah 50? Let me just read the verse to you. Verse 10. Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant? Now we could say, Elijah fits in there. He was obeying the Lord. He was fearing the Lord. Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Ever been there? When you feel, I, I, I don't know, I just don't know where to turn, I just don't know what the future is here. Here's one here in this verse 10 of Isaiah 50, walking in darkness, having no light, what are we to do? Well, here's what we're to do at the very end of the verse. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. That's what we're, and that's what Elijah was doing here. Because remember, he's still serving the Lord by staying at the brook where the Lord told him to go. He's serving the Lord as much by staying at the brook as he was serving the Lord when he came and he stood before Ahab. He's still serving his master. And he's learning so much. The Lord's teaching him so much. He's teaching him thankfulness. He, he, I'm certain Elijah was thankful every day for the water to drink and for the food to eat. Let me ask you, what do you think he should have been more thankful for? The water in the brook or the bread in the flesh brought by the ravens? I suggest to you he had to be equally thankful for them both. And he learned that to, to thank the Lord for all that the Lord was providing for him and revealing unto him because his word, his word was to come and it did come. And that brings me to my third and final point, manifesting his faithfulness in his unfailing word. His unfailing word. Verse 
because this word just comes at the right time, at the right moment. As the brook is dried up, verse 8, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath. Here he is, the time of testing, the time of, the time of trial. If he had started reasoning with himself, maybe I can see that water going down. I don't think it would be good to stay on here. I think I'll just move on somewhere else of my own choosing. But Elijah didn't do that. Why? Do you know what bound his conscience? It was God's word. It was the word of God that bound the conscience of Elijah. And he said, God has told me to go here. And he hasn't told me to leave here. And I would need his word if I'm to leave here. And so Elijah waited on, and the Lord didn't fail him. The Lord did not fail him. He manifested his faithfulness. At that right moment, the word came, Arise, get thee to Zarephath. Dwell there. I've commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. This word comes. And when it comes, Elijah goes. Elijah moves. But until that, he doesn't. He, he stays. Can't you see how that there's an, un, an unfailing word? An unfailing word? Now, it couldn't have been an easy time for Elijah. Here he is for a time at the Brook Kerith. And then he's moving and he's going to have his needs provided for by, by a widow woman. That's God's way on this occasion. It's God's way. And no doubt he's feeling the, the impact and the effects of God's judgment upon the land and upon the nation. And of course, God's people cannot feel themselves immunized against God's judgment when it falls upon a land and upon a nation. Because as the people of God, we, we do feel an impact of it. And no doubt Elijah did so because God's judgment was upon the nation. There'll be no dew, there'll be no rain for these years. It was God's judgment upon the land because of the apostasy of the, the nation and the turning away from the true God to the false God. But yet, it did produce an opportunity for Elijah to prove the faithfulness of his God. And in the midst of all of the trials that we face and the difficult situation that is arising more and more as the end time really gets close, we still have to look to the Lord and prove that he will still remain the faithful God if we honor him, if we obey him, if we do what's right according to his word. So while Elijah felt the effects of God's judgment upon the land, he wasn't getting angry. He was in submission to the Lord, just following. What was he doing? He was really just walking by faith. 
wasn't he? Now, if he'd started walking by sight, he would have left the brook long before he did. I wonder, was he tempted to do that? I don't know. But if he was, he obviously resisted the temptation. And he just waited on the Lord. Lord, you've brought me here. You need to tell me where to go. You need to tell me what to do. Here I am, ready, willing. And isn't that how it should be with each one of us who profess the Lord's name? Ready, willing to do his will and to do his will according to his word. Because he will never tell us to do something through his word that's not in accordance with his way. He will always lead us in the right way. Let us then submit to him. Let us continue to trust in him and be encouraged. He cannot and he will not fail. Let's bow in prayer. Our gracious God and Father in heaven, we do come again in our Savior's name to thee, and we thank thee for thy word. And we pray that thou wouldst bless thy truth to our hearts today. May the hearts of thy people be encouraged as they see again that thou art the faithful God, the one who keeps the word that has been given, the one who fulfills the promise that has been made. Thou didst do it with Elijah, even though it was for him a time of testing, a time of trial. And Lord, thou dost still do it for us as thy people today. Though we go through times of testing and times of trial, nevertheless, we ask for that grace that we will always look to thee and wait upon thee and get that guidance from thy word. Bless us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing our, our closing hymn. It's the hymn 430. The hymn 430 on page 350. All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I know whate'er befall me, Jesus doeth all things well, and after we sing the first verse, I'll be going down to the door for any who will be leaving us, and then we'll be commencing our short communion service after that. The hymn 430. <laughs>